the second greatest command. It all overlaps. Mary was a very intelligent young woman who was a student at a Christian college. She was going into her ethics class. It was called Ethics 230. She was looking forward to the class. There's always a little bit of mixed emotions in that class because the professor was always so interesting that really he was a favorite across the campus, although he also was sometimes tough. Sometimes the students would disagree with him, and sometimes they thought his tests were a little bit tough also. As she went into class that day, she could tell it was going to be another very interesting day because on the front of the class was a huge board that looked like a target of a dart board. And when they sat down, he passed out large pieces of paper for everyone to draw a picture of the person that they disliked. Somebody that gets on your nerves, somebody that makes you angry, somebody you might even hate. The person to her right began drawing a picture of of the girl that stole her boyfriend just last month. She said she hated her. The person on the left drew a picture of her younger brother, said, he's always been a prankster and I've always been impatient and And it really has hurt our relationship, and I can't stand being around him. He makes me angry all the time. The person to the to sitting behind her said he was drawing a picture of his neighbor. They've been longtime neighbors, and ever since he was a kid, he was always trying to get him in trouble with his parents. He said, I'm tired of that grouchy old man. And then she decided she would draw a picture of the professor. Because after all, she'd left there many times from that class so angry at him that she disliked him from time to time. All of them drew their pictures. And then he asked them to stand in a single file line. And one by one, he put their pictures on the target. And then he gave them darts and he allowed them to throw. And all the class got so excited. As everybody was getting to throw darts at their enemies. And and you would hear them cheering each other on, throw harder! Throw more! And the pictures, their faces began to be torn by the darts and he'd put another picture up. And it would be torn by the darts and he'd put another picture up and it'd be torn by the darts and finally time expired before everyone was able to go through the line and Mary just knew that she cut, he cut her off because he probably had seen his own picture and didn't want it on the board. But nevertheless, when they sat down, he then began to take down those pictures of all their enemies. And then he took down the target, and behind it was a picture of Jesus. Except it, too, had been torn by all of the darts that had pierced their enemies. Their hands and their darts had pierced his eyes, had ripped his flesh, and had left the picture of Jesus disgraceful. Silence fell over the room as he simply said the words of Jesus. And as much as you have done it to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. There was only a couple more minutes of the class period left. And he sat down. There was a silence that was staggering as everyone looked down at their enemies and what they had done to their faces and then looked back up to their Lord, realizing they'd done the same thing to His face.
friends, as we think about kindness, and we think about the first and second greatest command, perhaps we do well to remember the words that Jesus spoke to Saul. If you will, turn to Acts, the ninth chapter. Acts, the ninth chapter. You remember this man who had been so successful at persecuting the Lord's church. And on the road to Damascus, the Lord approaches him, except at this point, Saul is very uncertain about who the Lord is, and, or at least this one that is calling himself the Lord, and this bright light shines down upon him, and in Acts the ninth chapter, then he fell, verse 4, then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now think about it for a moment. Saul had never gone to, to persecute Jesus himself. He'd gone to Christians and he had ripped them out of the peace and the privacy of their home. He had drugged them down to jails and he had put them there. And according to Acts 26, even when they were ripped out of their jail cells, brought to a trial to decide whether or not they'd live or die, he always voted that they would die. He'd done that to Christians, but he had never done that to Jesus, had he? And then we read these next lines in verse 5. He said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Think about that. I am Jesus. Who are you, Jesus? I'm the one you just threw in jail yesterday. I'm the one you just ripped away from from her husband yesterday. I'm the one you had put to death. Can you imagine what it was like for Saul that day to come to the understanding that Jesus of Nazareth was truly the Messiah, but not only that, but everything that he had been doing to Christians up until that time, he was guilty of doing it to Jesus Christ himself. You see, our kindness or not, we do it to Jesus. How have you treated individuals this past week? Do you realize that everyone we've interacted with this past week, we've done that to Jesus? If you will be looking with me to Matthew, the 25th chapter, as we study a passage about the final day of judgment, but it is in this study of the final day of judgment that we have a reading that helps us to understand how the Lord views our day-to-day life. You know, many times from this pulpit, you have heard us say that based upon who our Lord is, is how we need to treat other people. You see, that causes us to treat people with unconditional love. In other words, how do we react to an enemy? We don't treat an enemy the way we treat them because they are our enemy. We treat them the way we treat them because of who our God is. And so in other words, we do things for them that we would never do except God is our God. The way we live with our family, we live and we interact with them based upon who our God is. Our friends, based upon who our God is. But in Matthew, the 25th chapter, he gives us one more step, one more prong in that approach that really, really drives this point home. Do you remember there in verse 31, we see the Son of Man appearing, and in 32, all nations are gathered together, and in 33, we have a divide, we have the sheep on the right and the goats on the left, and in 34, the king will say to those on the right hand, come, you blessed of my father. Now he's speaking to those on the right side. 
He's calling them blessed. Come you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and took you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you, sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then the following paragraph tells of those on the left side when they did not do these things to Jesus. They couldn't understand when they did not do these things and yet he held them accountable. And so therefore we see that how we treat others as we studied last week, it becomes a very point in time that we can show people the character of the Lord because God is kind. And so when, when we show individuals kindness, remember 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, love suffers long and is kind. We show them the highest kind of love. And we studied last week about in Colossians 3 when we take off all of the ways of the flesh and we put on the things that the Lord would have us to put on. Kindness was one of those things. When we show kindness to others, we show them Christianity. We show them that we're living as a result of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. We show them a moral excellence as we live out the virtue of kindness as we read in 2 Peter 1. Friends, there are many earthly consequences that are a blessing when we offer genuine kindness that is consistent. We're not talking about that kindness that is just a whim that even people in the world express. We're talking about the kindness that is consistent because it's based on who our God is, not who they are. We're talking about the kindness that is sacrificial, not convenient. We're talking about the kindness that is impartial. It reaches out to everyone, not just the closest friends or those that we believe will pay us back kindness in the future. You see, this kind of kindness has a huge impact upon the earth. It makes the world a better place to live. How many hospitals in America are named after atheist groups? How many orphanages in America have been started by groups of atheists? How many homeless shelters are supported solely by atheists. Friends, we could list nursing homes, battered wife shelters, child abuse shelters. You go on and on and on and on listing the individuals that need kindness displayed to them on a daily basis but yet our society does not hold them as the prominent figures of society. 
And you know who's going to care for those people? It's going to be people that have a belief in Jesus Christ that believe that the second greatest command is the way to live and that the way you express the second greatest command comes through in kindness. And remember, kindness is not just a thought. Kindness is not genetics. Kindness is action. It's loving thy neighbor as thyself and living it out day to day. And so now Jesus shows us a scene of the day of judgment. And he says, I want to tell you who's going to be on the right side and I want to tell you who's going to be on the left side. And in this scene of judgment, he said, it's going to come down in part, at least, according to this scene. What did you do for me? Lord, I don't know if I've ever seen you hungry. You know, I have to confess to you that a lot of years I used to read that passage and, and I thought that that meant you had to find someone starving to death. You know, and if you didn't provide for them today, they would be dead tomorrow and, and the Lord wants you to find that person and feed them. Isn't that foolish? Who's hungry? Everybody I know is hungry within a day. Most people I know is hungry within a four-hour period of time. You know, isn't it wonderful to think about why we do what we do and realize the motive for our ministries is not just busy work, but the motive for our ministry is to fulfill God's will in our lives. And when we set out to do ministry, we're setting out to fulfill the first and the second greatest command. For example, we don't serve Meals on Wheels on Thursday because we believe that if we don't, people would be dead on Friday. We serve it because it fulfills the second greatest command and it fulfills the command to be kind and it shows individuals the love and the kindness of God to them. In the same way with a food committee, a family doesn't have to have a meal after a funeral, but it sure is kind. A family doesn't have to have a meal when, when someone in their family comes home from the hospital but it sure is kind. Our food pantry, I don't know if it's ever kept someone alive solely based upon that one resource, but I'm convinced that every time it has expressed the kindness of God to every recipient. Snacks in the waiting room that's provided through our hospital ministry. It's not that that family couldn't go without the snack. It's that it expresses the kindness of God at such a critical and crucial time in the life of that family. When individuals host our widows once a month into their home, it's such a kind gesture to such a good, good group of people. Our thirst. Do we look for that person that is out dying in the desert? Oh, that would be a wonderful thing to do, but if that's the only idea of those that we're going to offer a drink to, we're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities of kindness. Just opening our doors during the Christmas parade and offering a drink of hot chocolate, many, many expressed to us how kind that they perceived that act. The one campaign had van and bus drivers that were constantly handing back 
cold bottles of water to those that had been going to the doors. And I know each one thought that that was kind. This sedan work that we're a part of, Don Humphreys is leading. He's trying to reach a nation where there are villages of people that are dying because their water is contaminated and there's simply not enough of it. And we literally are trying to bring to those people the physical and the spiritual water of life because they're thirsty. When have we taken in strangers? Our food pantry has strangers approach it on a weekly basis. We have members here that take in foster children. They come to them as strangers and they leave as a part of their heart. We have opportunities every Sunday, every Wednesday night, and almost every time we gather any other time to greet guests that walk in to us as strangers. How do you treat them? There would be some here this morning. Remember, behind the person is who? Jesus. How would you treat Jesus if He were visiting here this morning? The inner city ministry? That bus picks up strangers every week. Children that are coming for the first time. Children that we've never met before, but children we want to get to know and we want to show kindness to them and help them learn of the God of kindness the Mount Juliet Healthcare Service invites everyone there, whether they're a first month resident there, if they've been there for years. Strangers come to that on a regular basis. Welcome wagon, we literally go to the door of strangers and welcome them, be kind to them, and offer them an invitation. When was Jesus naked? And when did we clothe them? You know, the giveaway day, eight days ago, I was helping a mother. She had her arms full and she needed one more bag. And, and I offered to take her two bags in her arm and she grabbed that bag and we began walking out and she expressed her gratitude all the way out to her car. And about midway out to her car, she said, you know, I have nine children. And she said, it's hard for us to clothe nine children. And what you've done for us today makes a huge difference in the life of our family. Friends, are we reminded of the fact Jesus would say, that was me. You gave me clothes. You helped put clothes on my children's back. And all of these ministries that we do, it's not because we want to dream up something. It's because we want to go back to the direction that God gives us and make sure that everything that God asks us to do, to the least of these, that we're willing to do them as if we're doing it to Jesus Christ Himself. The sick, we have many that visit the hospitals when those are in the hospitals. We have many that help those who are in the hospital with food. We have many that help those who are in the hospitals and visit the sick in their home. We have many that send outreach cards, and when I go to visit the sick, one of the things that I hear constantly is how the Mount Juliet 
congregation is such an encouragement because they have received so many cards of kindness from members of that congregation. The teddy bear ministry is a gift of kindness to a child while they are sick or scared. When have we seen Jesus in prison? We have individuals that regularly go to participate in the men and the women's jail ministries. And what wonderful reports come back from that work. We have others that send Bible correspondence courses. We have great good that is done in the lives of individuals as they are incarcerated. Because those individuals serving them serve them as if they were Jesus. Do you see why from time to time, and I know it's often, we say get involved. It's not because we're saying we have some kind of secular social club going on and our goal is to have every member of that club to be active. The goal is for us to grow spiritually and to see everybody as if they were Jesus, whether they're a stranger or a friend whether they're free or incarcerated, whether they're wealthy or they're poor, whether they're highly intelligent or if they're ignorant. Everybody should receive the kindness that we have received from God and expects us to give to others as if they were Jesus. I like the words, and we'll bring this lesson to a close with these words. The cost of discipleship, Dietrich writes... And this is a little bit lengthy. It's not complicated, but please listen to this. The bearers of Jesus' word receive a final word of promise for their work. They are now Christ's fellow workers and will be like Him in all things. Thus, they are to meet those to whom they are sent as if they were Christ Himself. They are bearers of His presence. They bring with them the most precious gift in the world, The gift of Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing to think of someone standing in front of us and we approach them because of Jesus in our life. And so because of who our Lord is, we approach them. But then as we approach them, what we're taking to them is the very presence of Jesus in the way we talk to them, in the way we react and act toward them. And then the motive for what we do is because in their face, we see the face of our Lord. We do everything as if they were Jesus Christ Himself. Friends, I don't know of a higher standard for us to think of the second greatest commandment, to love thy neighbor as thyself, than to think of the command from our Lord, because our Lord lives in us, because whom we're approaching, we approach as if they're our Lord. This morning, do you know Jesus? Do you know your Savior? Do you know the one that has the best life mapped out for you on this earth and for eternity? And within that mapping, within that guidance is also how we would live with others. In other words, please listen to this. God wants you to love Him, but just as much so, God wants you to love others. I hope later on this month we're able to capitalize on this. And if so, just act like you haven't heard it before. But in closing right now, think about this. You see those religious people that they're all excited about loving God, but people get in their way. They're impatient. 
They're better than everybody else. They're self-righteous. God says it can't be done that way. You want a close relationship with God? Be close and show love to mankind also. This morning, how's your relationship with God? Are you saved? Have you ever been immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins? Why not submit to Him this morning in the waters of baptism? Perhaps you've done that and along the way you've lost the way. Maybe it's the way you've treated others. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something else. But let's make sure that we all leave here this morning united. Because we believe that the first and second greatest commandment is truly the first and second greatest commandment. And we're living it. And if we can help you with that, come as we stand, as we sing.